Guide to Politics. I am Liz Philippos, and I'm here to offer an expanded perspective into this moment in our collective political lives so that we come to a deeper awareness of our capacity to transform and transcend the present paradigm as agents of transformation. Each week, I talk with creative leaders about their spiritual understanding of the current political moment the possibilities for the well-being of our planetary lives and the life of the planet itself. They inspire us to know that the personal is political and the political is spiritual. There are tremendous possibilities for transformation when we really come to know this. Today, my guest is Joanna Hardy, a meditation teacher. She has been exploring and practicing multiple spiritual traditions since 1999. In 2005, her focus landed on Buddhism and Vipassana, and her interest has been to create inclusive communities that invite individuals that don't typically have access to the traditional Dharma settings. She is actively engaged in building multicultural communities and communities that recognize the importance of social and racial justice. This is at the top of her list of priorities. She is an empowered teacher in the spirit rock IMS lineage and guiding teacher at Against the Stream Buddhist Meditation Society. Welcome, Joanna. I'm so glad that you could join me today. And I'm so glad for the work that you're doing. It's really wonderful. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about your spiritual journey, mm-hmm. what's brought you to this moment in your life. I would say like a lot of people, a lot of students that come into our meditation centers, usually going through some kind of suffering or pain or loss of understanding of what's next. I was in a really difficult space in my life and was searching. I was looking for something that was going to make me or help me understand what was going on. These other traditions that I practiced had a lot of external help available, gurus and gods and those kind of things. And I found that to not be in sync with my understanding of myself. I really needed to see that my actions and my efforts and my words were going to help change something inside of me. Mm -hmm. And so what Buddhism offered me was that ability to say, hey, Joanna, if you show up like this, there's going to be a cause and an effect from those actions. If you show up in a harm-free, kind, compassionate, wise way, then chances are things work out a little bit better. Was there a specific teacher or lineage that you studied with? Jack Cornfield was my first retreat that I ever sat, and Pema Chodron and Joan Halifax and certain people's books that I had been reading sat at the Los Angeles Zen Center was my first ever meditation in the Buddhist tradition. I'd already been sitting in a different tradition for quite a while. I got interested mostly through Jack Cornfield and the Theravadan or insight tradition. So then what was appealing about that is that there is something about taking responsibility for your own, your own way of being Mm -hmm. in the world. 
I'm imagining that has something to do with how you've come to do the work you're doing now. But let me ask you, as a person of color on this spiritual journey, Mm -hmm. what's been your experience? Walking into the Buddhist rooms that I walked into, I didn't see myself at all. I had a really big experience of other and not being reflected through the teachers or other people in the room. So that's been a little trying for me and difficult, which is a big part of why I'm wanting to create something in our sangha and in my community is because it's like, okay, I can't find myself out there. Let's let's make this happen, Joanna. You can help build something new and something different that has more diversity and more inclusivity. I'm not the only one who's trying to make this happen in the Theravadan or Insight tradition, but it's a slow crawl right now. And, you know, it's always the big question, where are us as people of color going to feel comfortable? Where do we feel seen, heard, reflected, acknowledged? And sometimes in silent rooms where let's say a silent retreat center or something like that, it might not have a, a deep understanding or appeal. So how can we not invite people of color in, but how can we evolve and grow as a community so that we can share in all kinds of traditions? Is it that there's something missing in terms of an awareness when you walk into a meditation center and everybody is white? Mm -hmm. Is it the lack of awareness that makes that happen? It's a good question. Is it the practice itself? Is it the room or the particular community? Here in Los Angeles, there's plenty of Dharma halls and meditation centers that are only people of color. You know, the Korean traditions, the Vietnamese traditions, the Japanese traditions, they're all here. What's happened with this movement of the last 50, 45, 50 years of this white intellectual scholarly type of person discovering the Dharma is those are the people that can really afford to go, that can take time off, that can pay for a retreat, or even has access to learning about it. And it can also look like a very individual practice. You know, when you're sitting, even when you go to regular community Dharma centers, you're sitting, your eyes are closed, very few people commune. There's not talking, there's not gathering and chatting and eating and hanging out. That all feeds really individualized view of what maybe a mindfulness or insight type of practice is. Mm -hmm. And we're working on shifting that, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's more of a open-armed, everyone-belongs experience, and maybe it needs to look a little different than sitting quietly with your eyes closed. So it would be then different practices that feel more inclusive, Mm -hmm. and those different practices would come from an expanded awareness Mm -hmm. that there's something missing here when people of color don't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. to participate. And interestingly, Buddhism largely is a people of color. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And it's it's kind of a trip how here... Like I said, in our small section of the Insight Theravadan world, it's not. Mm -hmm. But if you're in those rooms, it's palpable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really an interesting experience. It's not restricted to Buddhism that churches tend to be segregated Mm -hmm. or the Conscious Life Expo. It's remarkably white. 
I guess it's just reflective of landing in a racially divided society. Whatever it is that crops up here can't help but be sure. inflected with some kind of racialization. Sure. So we could say in general that happens. It's interesting that in Against the Stream mm-hmm. and the work that you do and other Buddhist movements in the U.S. that race and racism are taken up as conversation. Is there something in Buddhism that invites that? I'm glad to hear you say that you think it is, that that the conversation's up, because I think a lot of us feel like it's not up enough. Mm -hmm. Some centers and organizations are being forced to look at it now because some really loud voices are saying, no more, Mm -hmm. we won't do this anymore. The Buddha, as a teacher, was incredibly inclusive and said anybody, anybody and everybody can awaken. At the time, during the Brahmanic period, you know, class was a big deal. And only the male, only the higher class, only the educated could, quote unquote, be liberated from suffering during that society in that time. And then when the Buddha came in, he said, no, actually, everybody can. Then there were certain rules about who could actually be part of the monastic order. But as far as people being able to be liberated and free of suffering, he was probably one of the first people 2,600 years ago to say that. No matter race, class, gender, everybody can awaken. So that's the impulse then, is there's a universalist impulse that everybody can awaken. And so when we're sitting in meditation Mm -hmm. and only seeing one kind of person, Mm -hmm. then there is an impulse, an obligation even. That's right. A mandate. That's right. And it can really go anywhere. When I say that, I mean, I teach in a lot of different communities. I teach everywhere from prisons to foster care centers to high schools to, you know, lots of different places. And what the practice can actually do, this practice of self-investigation, this practice of really seeing what's true in this moment, can apply anywhere for anyone. Mm-hmm. And what it gives us an opportunity to do is free ourselves from the burden of our deluded minds, how our minds habitually think and act and do in ways that have harmed us or have harmed somebody else. Mm-hmm. And when, when you look at the practice, it gives us an opportunity to slow it all down and maybe change something, do it differently, mm-hmm. look at the mind differently and not be so run by the mind. And these differences are really of the mind. This is a little bit of a crux, too. A little bit of a problem is for some people, they want to do this spiritual bypassing in a way and say anatta is the word for no fixed and permanent self in in the Pali language, the original Buddha's language. So some people want to go straight to anatta. There is no fixed and permanent self, so there can't be color, there can't be gender. We do have to look at the relative also. A lot of harm has been caused due to oppression and marginalization. And we have to look at the truth of that, Mm -hmm. right? Our histories matter. Just like knowing our mind matters, it also, I think, is really important for us to know our history so that we can really deeply look at something from an honest perspective versus some kind of bypassing, saying, oh, we're all spiritual beings. Color doesn't matter. Well, we know it matters. It does matter. Yes. If you grew up here, Mm -hmm. somewhere in your edifice, it is structured into our psyches Mm -hmm. to see that way. Mm -hmm. It's a visual marker of difference. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And that's okay. You Mm -hmm. know, it's okay. But when we try to ignore it or pretend it's not there, 
and do that through like the lens of spirituality, <laughs> it just doesn't really work. Yeah. You know, so then that's another way that people of color can feel not seen in a room yes. full of white people, especially if you're saying, oh, yeah, and by the way, you're the only person of color in this room and you don't exist. <laughs> right. Or your concern is not relevant. It's not right. To this path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I hear you saying is that a path of awakening is also a path of inclusion mm-hmm. and universality. That's right. And dealing with facing mm-hmm. the parts of us that might not be awake or mm-hmm. awakened mm-hmm. to that. I think any spiritual community can do that. Mm-hmm. Agree. And if we're looking at things like reconciliation, and you know, maybe we can't have any kind of reconciliation process on our meditation cushion, but what we can do is acknowledge somebody's past or just say, I see you, I know you're here, mm-hmm. you're part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You already alluded to it that sometimes spiritual people want to do a bypass mm-hmm. and uh, they're resistant to the idea that we should talk about race or racism or gender or sexism mm-hmm. or anything that seems political. Mm-hmm. How's that conversation going? How I'm liking to look at it right now is because there are plenty of people that want to make this an individual spiritual path and that's it and really trying to alleviate their own personal suffering beautiful and important and we need to do a both and in my mind to really really wake up so the conversation for some people that are just really doing this individual project think that it's not spiritual to talk about anything that has to do with the flesh or anything that has to do with how we walk around they want to break let's put it that way They don't want to talk about that. They came into this meditation hall. They want to have a break. They want to rest. They want to feel good. They want to de-stress and take care of their personal business. But the reality, as we know it, is you walk out the door and you're no longer super calm anymore the second anything happens. You open social media. You open the newspaper. You turn on the TV. You run into somebody. And immediately, the practice is lost. All of that patience, all of that care that we've put into the practice kind of goes out the door. And so what I'm really interested in is people walking with the practice. Our eyes are open. You know, we're seeing at all times, we're practicing at all times through our speech, through the way we show up in community, through how we are willing to really take on the tenets of non-harm. Because that's one of the Buddha's biggest teachings is not causing harm to ourselves or to other people and walking the path of wisdom and compassion, it causes harm when we ignore. It causes harm when we pretend something doesn't exist. Silence can be just as harmful as saying something. That bystander effect of, I'm over here meditating while I'm watching an atrocity happen, doesn't really align with the tenets of non-harm. One of the biggest supports for something like racism is the ongoing denial that it exists. That's right. That keeps it in place very nicely. It does. Yeah. It does. So that seems like a matter of education Mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, there's resistance, and then there's also not being aware of how that works. That's right. And how we are complicit Mm -hmm. if we're not engaging. If we're not engaging. As a person of color, We don't always want to be the ones to educate either. To be that person, you know, I'm the angry black woman who's always mad that you stepped on my foot, you looked at me this way, you said that word, you you know, it's exhausting to be that person, to always be educating. So what we're doing and what we're really pushing it against the stream is white awakeness, being awake to the fact that 
people are white. If I can wake up to the fact that I'm white, then I can wake up to to race. Yes. But if I can't wake up to the fact that I'm white, then how can I wake up to anybody else's experience? If you're just joining us, you're listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics with my guest, Joanna Hardy, talking about Buddhist meditation and race and racism. How long have you been running the People of Color Meditation Group? Right. It's a people of color and their allies. We at Against the Stream have a people of color group that's for all people that self-identify as a person of color. We also started a group called People of Color and Their Allies. So it's an opportunity to be in dialogue and conversation with each other from a really safe guidelines and tenants that go along with it. But it's a way for us to be together and be in our practice. So I really try to keep making a point of staying in your body, feel this experience. If you're being triggered right now, you know, check it out. What is what is being triggered feel like in the body? I'm trying to just keep the Buddhist lens going, the, the practice lens going, because it's so easy to walk down the street and be engaged and not even know that one minute you see this face and it's having this experience in your body. And then five seconds later, there's another person and you're having this experience. And then you get home and suddenly you're scared or stressed out or something is up and you don't even know why. And so when we have the opportunity to really keep practicing and saying, oh, looking at that person's face makes me sad. Looking at that person's face makes me feel lustful. When we know what's arising in any given moment, we have a better opportunity to respond wisely. We have a better opportunity to say, oh, that that scares me or that really pisses me off. We're always reacting instead of deeply knowing And sometimes we just get triggered because of, you know, our historical makeup. It's something that is from childhood. And so does that need to affect us right now? Mm -hmm. Probably not. But Mm -hmm. we need to be aware that it's happening for right action. Is the awareness of the triggers or emotions, the awareness of it is partly what dissolves them, changes them? Or not. Mm -hmm. At least you know. Because to just be like in constant forward movement, not even knowing why. For me, it builds personal trust. It builds self-trust. I have confidence that I'm not going to go do something really, really harmful to somebody because I'm staying connected to myself. Now, that doesn't mean I don't get angry. It doesn't mean I don't get in arguments with people. It doesn't mean that everything's nice all the time. Like, that would be dishonest as a human. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have to acknowledge that, yeah, sometimes I'm this and sometimes I'm that. How can I relate to that in a way that's not going to be disastrous Mm -hmm. because I came from a background of whatever I felt wanted to come out of my mouth came out of my mouth if I wanted to punch somebody I punched him if I wanted to you know just whatever like I had very very bad boundaries I didn't trust myself and people didn't trust me what would it be like if we could actually sit together and totally and completely disagree and have a conversation anyway and I stay in my seat and you stay in your seat and we're not walking into the conversation already hating each other So walking awake, being conscious of what's happening in my own being, that's part of being a spiritually awakened Mm -hmm. practitioner. And when you say, you know, being in disagreement, disagreement in and of itself, that's not necessarily a racially charged disagreement. It's just a disagreement is what you're talking about. 
this POC ally group, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, people feel like they can walk in there and have a safe conversation because we each know our responsibility to each other. And our responsibility to each other is to listen as deeply as we can and to speak with a wise heart, a non-harming heart, and can still totally not understand each other, could totally still disagree. But can we do that in a space that's not so scary? So what's been the response from white people? You were saying that an awareness of whiteness has to happen. Mm -hmm. So how's that going? It depends. (laughs) You know, some people just think it's a terrible idea and (laughs) get really offended. You know, there's a fantastic teacher named Ruth King. And this is the one who really started talking to me about this and classes that I was taking with her. There's a ownership of it that is necessary that is also really scary. People don't want to move into the, sh- the guilt, the shame, the blame, the, all those feelings that it brings up. At the same time, we still need to know our history and how when this body shows up in a room, it does affect somebody else. I was sitting with a woman of color today. She said when she sees a white bald man, it scares her. It does something to her. It's an instant trigger. Now, she's a grown-up and she knows better and she watches it wash away but it has an instant trigger. So it's really beautiful when a white, bald man in her world can show up in a way that might feel less intimidating. That, again, is about an awareness. Mm -hmm. So if a white person is aware that they walk with a certain amount of privilege, Mm -hmm. there has been a wielding of racial power that people of color collectively and individually experienced. Mm -hmm. It is part of a consciousness Mm -hmm. of the United States. Even if I didn't have a personal experience of it, Mm -hmm. it is still an awareness of how things work, an awareness as a white person, an awareness of carrying that not to be blamed or shamed or feel guilty, but to be aware that this has an impact. So then I can orient myself differently Mm -hmm. or consciously. One of the guidelines in the group is generally letting people of color speak first, because sometimes it can turn into white people wanting to ask a lot of questions out of this beautiful curiosity. At the same time, it has, like you're talking about, it has an impact on the room, because suddenly it becomes an educational experience for white people to learn versus a shared experience where people of color are expressing what it's like for them to walk into a room. I noticed that then you have a separate white allies group. Mm -hmm. Are you part of that? No, that's somebody else's doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you do this people of color teaching anywhere else, or is it primarily at Against the Stream you started this program? Um, I primarily do it there, but it's gotten some attention. So people have me coming and doing it in other organizations. Okay. So tell me about Against the Stream. Like, what attracted you there? Mm -hmm. And then... What was the opening for Mm -hmm. you? Yeah, Against the Stream is a beautiful place because, you know, we like to say that we're just a bunch of misfits and all these misfits can come together and feel comfortable together. Mm -hmm. I really liked the youth of the group. I liked the diversity of the group in terms of age. I liked the economic diversity of the group. I like the way that the Dharma is taught. It's very alive and applicable to everyday life. You know, we talk about sex, we talk about race, we talk about things that might not be talked about in other Dharma communities. So I felt really comfortable there. I felt at ease, very much comfortable, easy, but also fun. You know, there is this life in it seemed to allow me to live my life completely and 
gave me a lot of space to grow. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's an engaged spiritual mm -hmm. group mm -hmm. because you're talking about daily lived experience. That's and right. So then that makes sense that it seems like there's an opening there mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. do this work because mm -hmm. it's already engaged. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Mm -hmm. What do you think in the larger society, the work that you do here at Against the Stream or the other classes that you're teaching beyond the spiritual community, do you see that having an impact on race politics in a larger mm -hmm. framework? I can't say yet. Um, I can't say yet. It's hard to know. I know that the dialogue is happening a lot in the Dharma community. I don't know about how mindfulness or Buddhist meditation instruction, I don't know yet that that's gone out to sort of mainstream activism or mm -hmm. anything like that. I did just talk at a place a couple weeks ago that had me come in and do a meditation, and this was art and activism a place where they were facilitating a lot of different speakers. And that was kind of great because there is this need for how can I stay connected to myself? How can I not get so aggressive and angry and, you know, lose myself and then burn out? That is a big part of a conversation. But then there's also a commitment to anger and aggression mm. <laughs> in a way in, mm. in some activist movement. I would love to be more engaged with that and, you know, really what does compassionate action look like? Mm -hmm. And I think it could be really valuable and really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, so too. Yeah, Wor yeah. Working with our anger to direct it in ways that's fruitful and productive. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because as we know, beneath so much of that anger is a deep sadness and a deep fear. And if we can know that and come from that... I'm not saying coming from our fear and sadness, but I'm saying, oh, yeah, this is very real for me. You know, you might be sitting across from somebody that you're in complete disagreement with, but they're sad, too. Mm -hmm. Right. So what's that like? These are two humans in proximity. Two humans here are both sad. We might be doing it different ways politically or in other life choices, but we're both sad. Like, oh, yeah, what's it like to be in a conversation with somebody from that space? Mm hmm. It just seems like it has so much more potential than a constant headbutting that seems to be the norm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it seems like a foundation for compassion mm -hmm. and compassionate hearing, which mm -hmm. surely we can all use more of that. Right. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so do you want to talk about the other courses that you're doing? Uh, I know you mentioned to me uh, White Awake. So White Awake mm -hmm. is the group that... Against the Stream does, there's a program that they're following called Wide Awake. Okay. And since that is for the allies, I'm not part of that. But I am doing a group called Race and Dharma right now, it, or it's starting in um, April. It's through Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. And we're doing a real in-depth look at that thing, sp cultural, spiritual bypassing, like I was talking about. We're looking at biases. We're looking at the precepts and how to not cause harm. We're looking at lots of different angles. And then also having these affinity groups where people can talk. So there will be the white affinity group and then the people of color affinity group and then those groups coming together. Mm -hmm. So that I think will be really rich. It's an eight-week course and it's a pilot. So we're, we're working on it really hard, but a mm -hmm. lot of interest, a lot of interest in the Dharma community. Mm -hmm. So that's very exciting. Yeah, that's yeah. great. We also do women's retreats and... Women's um, retreat, mm -hmm. people of color retreat, mm -hmm. young adult retreats. Mm -hmm. Yes, lots okay. of different retreats. And those are silent those are these silent retreats that I'm talking about, but I'm bringing in 
some creativity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's call it that. I want, I'm trying to bring in some more, a little bit more dialogue, a little bit more engagement, still getting the depth of a silent retreat, still getting that experience of the real internal connection. Mm -hmm. But then, like I was saying, it doesn't matter if you're a great meditator if you walk out the door and you're a jerk, right? <laughs> so it's, you know, getting really good at meditating is not the, the complete goal of the path. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of not, I'm trying to really work, work a little bit more um, mm -hmm. interaction, even if it's in silence, but interaction into the retreat mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Tell us where can people find out more about you and and your work? Yeah, I have a website, www.joannahardy.org. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting and brand new. Um, and then at Against the Stream Buddhist Meditation Society, okay. which is againstthestream.org. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much thank for you. coming in today to have this conversation. It's been very enlightening and hopeful. Great. Yeah. Thank beautiful. you, too, for thank inviting you so me. Much. You've been listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics on KPFK Radio with my guest Joanna Hardy of Against the Stream Meditation Society. You can learn more about Joanna at joannahardy.org. My name is Liz Philippos. I'm so happy to host this conversation. So happy that you joined us and listened in. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to lizphilippos.com. Until next time. 